Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Explaining History podcast, and today I want to talk a little bit about an essay written by the late Eric Hobsbawm on the subject of manifestos, um, and the idea that the political and the cultural manifesto was um, a, a thing of the 20th century. Now, here we're not talking about party political manifestos, you know, the Tory or Labour manifesto that you might have read recently a, a list of uh, promises. Um, the manifesto in the 20th century um, and, you know, the 19th century too, obviously the, 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 the first great manifesto of the modern era is the Communist Manifesto, and I see it's significant. But uh, the manifesto was a, a cultural, often a political or sometimes even a cultural call to action, uh, a way of explaining um, the past um, of explaining current realities and challenges and problems, and a way of uh, suggesting routes to a popular future. Manifestos throughout the 20th century tended to be collective affairs, so people didn't publish them um, and talk about themselves, people didn't publish them and suggest that there were actions for the individual to take, but actions for the collective to take. And the decline of the manifesto, probably from the 1990s onwards, um, perhaps even earlier, I'm not sure, I'll think about that one, but I suspect the 1990s, um, goes in hand in hand with the, um, the development in world politics, the, uh, the end of the great collectivist experiment of the Soviet Union, um, and the realisation um, that uh, the current model of neoliberal capitalism was in complete and unfettered ascendancy with all its connotations of hyper-individualism um, and uh, atomization. Manifestos, by their very uh, nature, tend to be problematic, however. Um, the moment that they start to project about a utopian future or some kind of um, eschatology, a historical endpoint that we're all working towards, they start to go into the realms of the unknowable. Um, the Communist Manifesto prevent, presents a, uh, a description of um, the problems facing capitalist society, particularly the problems of the proletariat, 
and what is to be done about this. Um, but when it starts to theorise where this will take us, um, theorise um, the communist utopia that will be uh, available to workers once they throw off the shackles, it goes into the element in, into the realm of conjecture, and as we see, uh, communism didn't quite work out like that. The first half of the twentieth century saw a a confluence of uh, cultural and aesthetic movements coinciding with um, politics, um, and manifestos uh, emerge here. Um, Andre Breton's The Surrealist Manifesto, which is heck of a thing to wade through, um, and the various Dadaist manifestos um, presented a radical rethinking of, um, of, of the way in which we see art and, and culture. Um, surrealism was the art, and I paraphrase this, there's a heck of a lot to surrealism, but to, to put it in uh, probably an unsatisfactory nutshell, really it was um, the, the aesthetic process of bringing the unconscious, the dream-like state, uh, into um, the conscious. So encapsulating uh, that which was unreal, absurd and dreamlike. And the purpose of this um, was that it was perceived that there was something more fundamentally honest and truthful and more real and immediate uh, and tangible in the unconscious mind. The um, impact of psychoanalysis you know in the 1920s and 30s still a, a very young um, discourse um, a one which would, had not encountered its great challenges as it would in the, the 60s and 70s uh, where it came under sustained attack from psychiatry and uh, other models of um, psychotherapeutic uh, approaches this was uh, a still a, a powerful orthodoxy at this time, and you can find if you were to draw a, a psychoanalysis and Marxism Venn diagram, you probably find a great deal of the manifestos dotted in the middle bit. Um, they are heavily influenced by by both discourses, um, and both discourses are treated in the first half of the 20th century amongst the avant-garde and the intelligentsia uh, of Europe and America as, um, as unquestionable truths. And it's only with the advent of postmodernism from the 60s onwards that perhaps you see the first assaults on manifestos. Um, Leotard um, presents, suggested that the uh, definition of postmodern postmodernism was a profound scepticism in meta-narratives. So a profound scepticism in the big stories. So the, the big story of Marxism, for example, of class struggle leading to glorious people's revolution, um, the profound, the big story of um, uh, religion, of various religions, the big story that is psychoanalysis, that um, postmodernism really pos sort of positioned itself not as a thing, specifically, but as a, a reaction to these um, uh, big stories. Hobsbawm suggests that um, in the current phase of uh, capitalism that we exist under in the 21st century, that the, 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 the cultural uh, power that um, it, it, it exerts, or the power it exerts on culture, I, I, I must say, um, results in an entirely different kind of 
infinitely more depoliticized, uh, decollectivized manifesto, and that really is the the corporate mission statement. Um, if you uh, look on any website for a major company, there will be some sort of vision that the the company will set out what it aims to achieve. Um, much of this is couched in very clever and complicated language that suggests that private capital works to extend the in, the you know public interests and perhaps in some instances it does but uh, the uh, argument that is kind of implicit there is that it's, it's if that if that does happen it is a, a kind of a fringe benefit uh, and what private capital really seeks to do is to um, exter uh, to to increase return on investment in, in return on capital. That's what it's meant to do. So the decline of the manifesto, the uh, political or, or uh, cultural manifesto of the twentieth century, is perhaps a product of um, postmodernism, uh, but also a product of the development of public relations. And the history of public relations, I think this one is sort of pointed out by Noam Chomsky on a, a variety of occasions. The, the history of public relations is really uh, quite an understudied, uh, underreported and underexplored area. Um, there is um, a, a massive information on this. If you watch the, the brilliant documentary by Adam Curtis, The Century of the Self, um, on uh, Freud's cousin... Um, Edward Bernays and his uh, introduction of um, psychoanalysis and psychoanalytic principles into the realm of marketing and uh, public relations in the USA. Um, it really, um, there were not just conservative with a small c, but uh, liberal commentators such as Walter Lippmann who were making the case quite early on that uh, in an, an age of mass democracy, democracy itself must be carefully managed. And um, the, um, the new kind of rising corporate manifesto um, and um, corporate um, aesthetic um, in, encouraged uh, people in mass democracies to identify with capital, to identify with corporate power and uh, as being institutions that existed within the, the functioning of mass democracy and indeed were kind of component parts, cogs within mass democracy. Whereas this is questionably true, you know, this is, this is a, a challengeable point. Um, it is perhaps premature to say that these are anti-democratic institutions, but they can be as antagonistic towards the workings of mass democracy. You simply need to look at how um, party funding happens in the USA and uh, the UK, in, for that matter, uh, currently uh, and in the past. Um, but they are, there are also aspects um, where they are compatible with the workings of mass democracy too. When manifesto writers, artists who have written manifestos, have uh, produced their works, it's a fallacy to suggest that the avant-garde is inherently liberal or socialist or, or revolutionary. One only has to look at the Italian artist Marinetti and the Futurists to see their key association with the development of fascism. Um, culturally, these were proto-fascists. They actually predate Mussolini by a decade, 
Um, and they saw in their work that their art was uh, very much about the um, allure of the modern, about what uh, new technologies were, would achieve and how they would thrust humanity into the future. And the future that Marinetti um, uh, observed um, in his, his, his vision of the future was one that could only be directed by a, a strong man, a, uh, a figure who could transcend the challenge that mass society presented uh, of um, the possibility of socialism, of um, the, uh, the working classes organising, uh, and would be able to um, direct um, the, the forces of society um, simultaneously at once to break through um, any challenge that it faced. These were the, uh, the the concepts later that were um, readily readily embraced when fascism uh, does come along in Italy. Uh, the surrealists themselves were not free of uh, any kind of reactionary thought, and uh, Salvador Dali had some openly expressed sympathies for General Franco um, after 1936. Manifestos have not necessarily been the uh, preserve of the public intellectual uh, nor of the uh, leaders of the avant-garde. You only need to look at the radical movements of the uh, student uh, body in America in the 1960s, the Port Huron Statement, or, um, the uh, manifestos of groups like the Black Panthers, um, of the PLO and the various other uh, Palestinian liberation um, groups um, and the uh, groups like the, the Bader Meinhof gang in Germany to see that um, the uh, each group by the late 1960s has their own specific and quite obscurantist sometimes uh, set of values and arguments and beliefs. Uh, much of it uh, in, in some of these things you read quite uh, contradictory, dipping into Leninism, Bakuninist, Anarchism, Maoism, um, a real kind of pick and mix of, of radical beliefs. Um, some of it, some of it really um, uh, quite incoherent um, and uh, rooted in such uh, minutiae of um, local disputes as to be inaccessible really to the vast majority of the population. Much of this radicalism and this um, posturing, if you will, was soundly defeated um, throughout the 1970s and into the, the 1980s. Um, the end of the Vietnam War, um, the emergence of two oil shocks throughout the 1970s, 73 and 79, um, and the rise of a new conservatism in America and in Great Britain meant that the appetite for um, radicals and their manifestos, um, even if there it had ever punctuated the mainstream, and I, I doubt very much it ever did, um, certainly uh, goes in, into steep decline. Universities, which had been um, some universities, shall we say, that should been um, hotbeds for um, this sort of radicalism in. Germany, France, in um, Britain and America during 1968, uh, really um, a, a decade later, have seen either student action descend into uh, absurdity um, with um, 
seemingly meaningless sit-ins, or they've seen um, the generation of students that were um, uh, that way inclined who read uh, Mao, Trotsky, Gramsci and, and others um, graduate and the remorseless logic of capitalism um, has, uh, acute, has co-opted them into the salariat and that's the end of that. Uh, and next generation of students uh, were far less radical. Anyway, this is a, just a, a quick meander through the concept of the manifesto and its uh, it, its absence. You can still, I'm sure, find them about all sorts of things online. Um, the uh, what Hobsbawm calls the relentless noise of the internet has drowned out um, a great deal of these sorts of political statements um, and left them um, increasingly redundant or incoherent as they um, become baskets of both radical and reactionary notions as the two kind of intertwine and create more and more kind of obscurantist political positions. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that uh, quick analysis and I'll be back shortly with a book review and um, catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. 